0: again for another episode of Church Hurts. And the good, the bad and the ugly about church, religion and spirituality today. With a dash of recovery thrown in along the way. So if you've ever had questions about your faith, you're in the right place. Maybe you've become a bit jaded in your attitudes towards religion you've come to the right place. Because our host, well, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches along the way, and taught at a prestigious university, was also a teaching pastor at a megachurch. All that, plus being an executive coach. And now, well, he's a self-proclaimed aging curmudgeon who never, never stops asking the question, why let's bring him in why not the host of church hurts and dr john bash
1: welcome sir you know paul it really can get boring i mean it really can what am i talking about race ethnicity bias bigotry almost seems passe to me these days now Now that may not seem like a compelling way to introduce a topic, but let me take a stab at making the point just for fun. I decided to open a newspaper this week to prepare for the show and see how long it would take me to find an article on this subject, and I opened the Wall Street Journal. Remember, we're talking about race and ethnicity, the Wall Street Journal. And how long do you think it took? First page, center column, here it is, ready? Headline, the French are very bad at picking asparagus. Virus imperils European farming. The article goes on to discuss how COVID-19 raises questions about the viability of an economic system built on borderless migration in a single marketplace, especially in the European bloc's agricultural economy. Now, I'm not new to such discussions. I've lived in Southern California the last 25 years and our crops depend on migrant workers. I I do, though, I have a hard time talking about this in a politically correct way. Somehow nationality, skin color, cultures, and accents are going to be brought up and someone's going to get offended. The good news is, hey, we talk about church here. So fortunately, it'll be totally different. Surely spiritual people who believe in Jesus are going to have better insights into race and ethnicity than that crazy world out there. Well, to help us the Church Hurts and navigate these waters, we have a very special guest. Dr. Jim Lee has a bunch of impressive degrees, including two masters and a non-mail-ordered doctorate, and he's a licensed pilot. Pastor churches all over the place, and it's a family photo that looks like a stock image under multi-ethnic. Jim, I get so confused with this issues, I don't know how to begin. Welcome to Church Hurts and
2: Well, hey, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Now, this is a radio show and a podcast. You know, sometimes we have video with it, and people might be watching this, but for those who aren't and who haven't seen your family photo, um, tell me, What would they be seeing that might help them make sense? Why are you talking to me about this subject?
2: Well, it's funny. uh, Being the son of Korean immigrants of all places in the country, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, (laughs) and ended up uh, marrying a beautiful Caucasian white lady named Monica. We'll celebrate 22 years of marriage tomorrow. And then uh, we had three children together, Carissa, Micah, and Shane, so they're obviously uh, mixed race kids, and so we've got a pretty cool looking Christmas card.
1: Oh, wait a second! Let's let's back up. All of, you know, I'm still trying trying to picture this. Oklahoma Korean. What was that like?
2: Yeah, it was a great place to grow up. Just had a lot of friends. Went to school and played ball like everybody else. Um, I, I felt a great sense of belonging. And yet, there was this other kind of wave of um, racism that would hit me from time to time, and I never knew when or where it was going to happen. And when it did, um, it was painful, and it's definitely left a mark over over the years.
1: Wait, wait, okay, it was going to happen. Just tell me the story. Like, what? What's it?
2: You know, I remember one time I was literally walking into uh, McDonald's. I was I was in college. And there was a, a family of six just hanging out eating. And I was literally walking in to uh, just get some food, and a couple of the kids uh, kind of made fun of my eyes with, you know, putting their putting their fingers on their eyes and making their eyes smaller, making noises that represented, you know, some foreign language. And I remember uh, looking. Kind of really, at their, I wasn't really looking at them, but I was looking at their parents, as if to say, "Really?" And they were just—they were looking at me and just laughing their heads off. Mm. So I just—I never knew when something like that was going to happen. Isn't that interesting?
1: You say laughter, and and we've talked about this before. Laughter with young kids really does seem to be the tool where that they use to deal with things that do make them uncomfortable. So they try to make fun of it. Right.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think, but I, I think with those people, to them, it was funny to them. I you know, to them, I was funny because mm. I was different. I was, I was not like them and I definitely was not as good as them. Mm.
1: And And so you have your, your own personal story, which really, it's not filled with a whole... You've largely been very much... I mean, you're as American as I am. We look different, right? But Correct. you're as American as I am. And, um, I mean, my... Well, not too much. My grandmother used to brag about being part of the daughter of the Mayflower. And and I always used to wonder, why is that such a compliment? Things couldn't have been going that good back in Spain and Portugal for someone to get on that ship. But in any case... Um, So we have a lot of that um, similarity, but in the church, did you somehow, you had so much church experience and you have this theological degrees and you know, church history. Has the church done a very good job with this?
2: You know, I think over the years, particularly with the American church, we find everything. It was really the way your, your show is introduced the good and the bad and the ugly. And so I think what we have to do is really, as American Christians, we have to be very honest that the good and the the, the good and the bad and the ugly is all there. And unfortunately, we really have uh, an, uh, an American Christianity that has contributed a lot uh, to the racist past of this country, and to this day is still complicit to a lot of the social injustices and racism that still exists. Today. In some ways, it's a lot more subtle, but they still exist in very, very strong forms.
1: You know, um, I, I don't think you do know my father, who was not a religious man, but when I was very young, he was a deacon in the church, and the pastor went down to march with Martin Luther King. And these days, we look back at that and say, wow, that, that's really a good thing. For my father, it was like, this guy is really missing the point of church. (laughs) And and back back then, that was the common thing. It very much divided the people, and they decided to plant a church. And my father was looking at the numbers and saying, you're trying to do this. And anyway, he ended up being right factually, um, and he was not a bigoted man at all. But now... There's almost a sense of political correctness, yet still we see the church largely divided over this issue, where people act like somehow we've, we've gotten there. But I don't know we have, have we?
2: I think what we've learned as a church is to just be more careful. What I've discovered over the years is, in a lot of ways, people's views, particularly Christians have really not changed a ton. They've just learned to be more careful what they say and where they say it. Mm. So, you know, over the years sometimes I've asked friends of mine like if I were not in the room right now, would you still be having this conversation or would the conversation take on a different tone? And when they realize or are honest enough to admit the answer is yes. That poses some very, very difficult questions and realities for them.
1: And yet for you, you decided it's not enough to, would you call yourself a multi-ethnic, multi-racial actually family, right? Uh, Because you you went an additional step. It's not just that you guys um, got married. You also brought in another color into your family.
2: (laughs) What's that about? So a few years ago, uh, went on a mission trip to Haiti, you know, after the earthquake that wiped out. We don't even know how many hundreds of thousands of people died in that and visited a tiny orphanage and spotted two twin girls. And, you know, I really can't explain it other than God really putting something on my heart. Sometimes I feel like he could have found somebody better, um, but put it, put it on our hearts to adopt them and bring them home. So yeah, so that Chris McCart is not just, uh, three half Korean, half white kids, but also twin Haitian girls, which makes it even more colorful.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. I mean, you happen to know, um, uh, my son who, um, I got when he became 16 years old, and he's yes. black, and he's black. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. and um, he's a huge part of my life and my family, and yet I got in trouble just a, a few months ago because I referred to him in a group as my black son. What do you, What do you think about that?
2: Um, when I well, you know what I know you, and I know Tim. So if you had said that, that would make complete sense to me. And, and, you know, if anybody was offended by that, I'd probably stick up for you and ask them, well, have you adopted anybody? (laughs) So, And I think part of that, you know, what part of that nerve that might have been hit is I think one way uh, Christians in this country deal with this is to um, say something along the lines of, well, I'm colorblind. I'm colorblind. I treat everybody the same. And I always tell them, Oh, that's interesting because I'm pretty sure God's not colorblind. Right. <laughs> because he 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 made us all different colors. If it you know, my four year old brings home a picture of a rainbow and they've used eight different colors. I don't look to them and go, Well, that's so cool. This is like the best black black and white picture I've ever seen. They would look at you and go, Are you an idiot? You can't you see all the colors? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that that is a it's an interesting take. For me, um, it was kinda I distinguish, you know, I also have a son in a wheelchair. So, you know, when I'm talking to somebody, if I'm calling attention to the fact that we're dealing with something in light of his handicap, on the other hand, if we're I'm trying to distinguish in my family between Tim and it's like, wow, I really the last thing I want to do was be offensive. But I, I I had read an article where a lady was talking about dating and she said I date you know, a lot of white men, she was black. And she would ask people what they thought of that. And she said, the first people she wouldn't consider dating were those who said, I'm colorblind. She's like, you got to see who I am. That's where we begin. Now, where do we go from there, right? I
2: totally get that.
1: I I do too. I do too. And so here's a second magazine I picked up, ready? So I picked up a Christian magazine. And, you know, how long do you think it took me to get to race and ethnicity into the latest here? It's um, right on the front Of of the magazine, it has faith and culture, life, immigration, race. You know, so there we go. So I go inside, and I read this. We've got to get proximate to communities different than our own. It's one thing to say those immigrants. It's another to go to a detention center and hear a man say, "I'm a pastor fleeing religious persecution. They burned down my church." Who wouldn't love that man? It's easier to demonize people when you stay at a distance. We have to do the hard work of getting close to people and hearing their stories.
2: Is that good or what? And that that's that's really good. And and you bring up a good point because the the predominant culture and the predominant centers of power in our country are white. It it just it just is. I mean, during this COVID-19 and, you know, I can't go to work. So I'm working from home. So I got the TV on all day and always concerned, like, where's the economy going? And so I've, I've listened to dozens of interviews of finance executives, CEOs, and 99.9% uh, are white. I was watching the draft last night. We take a look at the living rooms of the coaches and the GMs and the owners and vast majority of them or white so when you're in the place of of power um you don't naturally find yourself with people that are different than you or grew up differently than you or worship differently than you but when you're kind of more a minority or on the margins to get in touch with those centers of power you're the one that has to move you're the one that has to get out of your comfort zone, and so that's just a you know that's just a reality in this country.
1: Well, let, let's um, let's just go a little bit more down that path. Um, when it comes to the church, some people say, you know, it's the really last segregated, really segregated place. A Sunday morning, you know, what you, I mean? Come on, you got to admit that, right?
2: Oh, absolutely, and I and I don't necessarily fault the like the mainline denominations or evangelical churches for that because a, a big part of that is because um, you know minorities you know throughout the week we we have to find ourselves in these for lack of better lack of better terms white spaces. And we have to be the ones making those adjustments. And even we have to be careful sometimes what we say for a vast number of minority Christians in this country. The one place they can go each week where they can take away all the filters is church and just say, I can be who I am. I'm accepted. I'm loved. If this word comes out of my mouth, I don't have to explain it to someone that's not of this culture. It's simply it's their it's really their safe space for a couple hours a week, and even you know just I was I was just reading a uh, study about this. Even the multi ethnic churches, which I think are really really cool things, the vast majority of those multi ethnic churches are run by white men, and culturally the music is is white and church history even i think in the last few decades has even shown with those multi ethnic churches when the multi ethnicities try to say hey can we do more of this or more of this and take away some of that oh man now it's like well we want we want multi ethnic we just don't want multi ethnic leaders that's a whole separate discussion, John.
1: We, we actually last week had a guest um, here who wasn't that way. I mean, he was white, but it had a multi ethnic church, and he just kept uh, putting more and more black music into it and really listened uh, before he made decisions, and it was cool. It, there's a sense, though, that I would say here I have you as a guest, but you know what, culturally, we're, we, we come from the same culture. We, we may be different races, and, and we may have different ethnic stories to tell, but you're from the same culture that I am. Talk for a little bit. I want to tell you what, tell us the story about your daughter going on a mission trip to China. Tell us that.
2: Yeah, so a few years ago, she was invited uh, by this wonderful family that runs a nonprofit in China, or runs an orphanage in China, um, and also an or- orphanage of kids with special needs, So as a ninth grader, um, she was, she raised her money and went on this trip and it was just so cool getting all these, you know, text messages and pictures, just a life-changing experience for her. And, you know, one thing she talked about was, she goes, I can't wait to come back. I can't wait to come back to my, to my school. It's a private Christian school. I can't wait to come back, come back to my school and tell my friends. And I want these other friends to go next year and just had an amazing time and, got back from the trip, went to school and, and came back, just came home uh, from that first day of school, just devastated. Mm. And instead of uh, a great day where she could, you know, share stories about what God did uh, that week, she was met with a lot of joking. You know, a lot of this is always, you know, a lot of this is done in the context of joking and kidding. Cause it's kind of an easy way to excuse bad behavior what, what, kind deaf, of, what
1: kind of things did they say?
2: They said things like, um, "Hey, how was the trip back to the the homeland?" Or how was the how was the motherland doing? Or, you know, my favorite was, "Hey, did God open your eyes on that trip?" And it it was probably one of the probably the first real painful discussion that my daughter and I ever um, had on race. And I said, I don't, want, I don't want you to ever, ever, ever forget what this feels like. When somebody says something to you, and ultimately the message is, you will never be me. You will never be like me. And that's within the context of the church. And just, right. it was it was kind of almost one of those facts of life talks that I wish I'd never had to have. And honestly, I kind of felt like, well, you know, in in the 21st century and with a, a beautiful daughter who's half Asian and unfortunately looks more like her mom than me, I just thought she would never have to face anything like this. And yet she 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 butted up against this in her own Christian school.
1: Isn't, isn't it true that, you know, to really honestly have a discussion about this stuff, we, we got to admit how much we blow it. I think the church does such a poor job, you know, saying, why wow, did we blow it? It's a little bit easier on something when we in, in America look at it, race so much defined in terms of slavery, where we can kind of look in the far past and see, I mean, there were some really sincere guys in the South. There were generals and leaders who were devout Christians um, who totally had the whole issue wrong in that way and even to this day there there's one denomination i know that you were part of only like in the last 10 years ended up kind of admitting oh gee i guess we got to repent we kind of had we blew it for a lot of years way too long how do you deal with that
2: well in the words the words you said were kind of i what i you know what i find with human nature i mean it you know it's hard for me to say to my wife I'm sorry, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. It's even harder to say, I was wrong. My dad was wrong. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was wrong. Their pastors were wrong. My great-great-grandparents were wrong. I actually had a Christian tell me last year that today we understand clearly that slavery was wrong. But back then, in the 19th century it wasn't wrong because that wasn't the christian prominent way of thinking he's like gave a pass to uh, he just he just gave a pass to christian slave owners and we also can't deny is there were many godly christians that were part of the abolitionist movement whites that said i will not have anything to do with this but i think just to admit the wrong of multiple generations Is very difficult, if not impossible, for some people to do.
1: And for the listener who just heard that and said he just said godly who were doing no, they weren't godly, they want to say. And certainly isn't that true that we are a mixture. There we're not a bunch of perfect people. There are some people who really love God today who were wrong on a lot of issues. And I know that I know that I am, but I don't think I am because if I knew it, I'd change my mind, right? Right, right. And so hopefully yeah, a, maybe, give, a, give us some, just a closing thought, and then let me uh, take us out of here.
2: Yeah, my closing thought is this, and I would just say, even in the in the last 10 years, I would say God has brought me on a journey, and, and it, it really wasn't even necessarily prompted by the adoption of uh, our girls, Marilena Merlon from Haiti. I think it was just a work. Uh, that God was doing in my heart with friends of mine that did not look the same as me. And for me to have those friendships and ask them questions and that they felt safe enough to tell me how they really felt. And it just started to bother me more and more and more and more about how I had been wrong for so many years and how I had seen these things. I remember years ago, Watching uh, the L.A. police beating up Rodney King, mm-hmm. and and remember the riots, and I remember thinking, well, if the guy had just, you know, if if the guy had just submitted, this would have never happened. What a, like what a bonehead! I really remember thinking that back then, and now I watch that today. I'm like, yeah, sure, he should not have been eluding the police. I I, I know that. Like, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I'm not I'm not going way, way over there. But just, I've been learning how to think more openly to really listen to fellow sisters and brothers in Christ that have grown up having a different experience than me and trying to be teachable and humble. It's it's hard to do, but the journey has been spectacular as well.
1: Well, Jim I, I really just thank you for being here and, and I thank you for your life you you've been a witness to a lot of people um, not just in your teaching and but in your family you guys have been a model and and it wasn't easy the story wasn't all that easy and and you mentioned your daughters by name you know it has to get to the place that they're they're not the Haitian. Um, black daughters as I was referring to, you know, when would you say right away when I referred to that, you said Tim, you know, you know him by name. So with my apologies to our French listeners who didn't get to hear us expound about how bad you are at picking asparagus, um, I'd just like to take a moment um to speak to those of our listeners who may have been hurt by the church um, in this area of bias and bigotry. I'm sorry. I I really am. Churches are filled with sinners, like you. Church leaders, they're sinners, too, and they get it wrong a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you about the and, church hurts. And um, the founder of the church, Jesus Christ, broke the mold in a way that few leaders did. He was inclusive way beyond his time and perfectly inclusive. The Apostle Paul summarized what the church was supposed to stand for best when he said in Galatians three twenty eight, "There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." And it's worth a thought for church hurts and this is John Bash. Enjoy God today, won't you? <laughs>
0: That brings us to the close of another episode of Church Hurts and surely leaving us with a lot to think about. If you'd like to think more and maybe even share your thoughts with our host, Dr. John Bash, he's a shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving the ministry prematurely. You can find out more about the work they do at StandingStoneMinistry.org. That's StandingStoneMinistry.org. And on our next show, we look at how one amazing mainline pastor broke the mold and got away with it. Join us for that episode as we continue to explore this perplexing question. Church hurts. And... Lord willing.